Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our In the World, Not of It series, which walks through the book of 1 Corinthians, showing how we are citizens of a better country. We hope this sermon will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and I'm so thankful for the series that we've been in and the study that we've had uh, through the last uh, several months as we've studied out the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're coming down this week and next week. Next week's our last message in it, and so I hope that you will be, uh, be here and be a part of that. But as we get started today, how many of you, uh, you know somebody around you that um, <clears throat> they're famous, they're famous for giving last-minute instructions all the time. Yeah, how many of you know somebody like that? Raise your hand. All right, good. There's some of you. Some of you are that person. You're the last-minute instruction person. It's the, this is the boss who, um, while, you know, before leaving for a trip, comes in and says, all right, don't forget, while I'm gone, and fills in X, Y, and Z. Uh, this is the, uh, the spouse while hurrying out the door to work, spouts out the to-do list to the other spouse. Make sure that you get this, this, and this done before I get back. Uh, It's the parent that gives instructions uh, before leaving on a trip or even just normal day in and day out things. Uh, Or it's me. I am the person to give last minute instructions and I have a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, excuse me, Dennis, our oldest, he got his first official job. And uh, Dennis has been working now for about four or five months. And uh, he works at Michael's Bistro. And he does, he's, he does dishes in the back room there. And I remember uh, Dennis dropping him off for that first day of official work. Now, he's had odd jobs in and out you know, over the years, but this is like your first official thing, you know? And so we're going down there a few minutes early and we pull in, and, and I say, now, Dennis, wait, wait. Before you get out, I just want to tell you a few things. And, of course, he rolls his eyes. Oh, Dad. I'm like, no, 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 listen, listen. I'm going to help you. I said, now, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, you got, you got to remember this. Remember, just listen. I'm just going to give you some last-minute thoughts. Be friendly. He's like, well, duh, Dad. I'm like, well, no, like, like friendly that, you know, smile. Always smile. He's like, okay. I'm like, now listen, be respectful to everybody around you, even, even workers that get on your nerves. Somebody's going to get on your nerves today, just be respectful to them. He's like, okay. I'm like, now, now listen, don't just say okay and yeah to your bosses. I was like, say yes, sir, and yes, ma'am. He looked at me, and I'm like, dude, seriously, it'll help. Just trust me. I'm like, have initiative. If you see something that needs to get done, just make sure you get it done. By now, he's looking at the clock. He's like, man, this time cannot go fast enough. I say, now make sure you pay attention to people around you. Make sure you accomplish it. And I honestly, for probably about five to seven minutes, I'm just spouting one thing after another, after another, after another. And by the time we get done with the conversation, Dennis, he's done with the conversation. I wasn't. I could have kept going. I wanted to start reading John Maxwell books to him. Those of you that know who John Maxwell is, you know. I'm like, here's this great leadership book, son. We need to read this. Let's, let's work through this really quick because I want you to be a great employee. Do you know the reason that a parent or a boss or a teacher will share last-minute instructions? The reason they do that The reason you as a parent do that, the reason your parents did it to you, the reason maybe you do it as a boss, the reason that takes place is because you care for the people that you're investing into. And that's not a bad thing, is it? 
Man, you as a parent, me as, as a parent, I want Dennis to, to go into work and to have character and to be a young man that, that, uh, that the bosses look at and say, wow, you're only 15. Wow, you're acting like a 19 or a 20-year-old. Uh, you're mature for your age. I want that as a parent. Uh, think about it as an employer. As an employer, when you leave on a trip, you know that, that if you leave and, and things break down while you're gone, it's not a good day. And so you want to help instruct your employees, hey, here's some things that you can do. Here's some tips that will help you as the, maybe not the, the spouse that spouts out orders every day. Maybe this doesn't categorize in that. But maybe, you know what? You're always looking, you're looking to help things get better for those around you. Man, those last minute instructions, they're needed. As we come to 1 Corinthians chapter number 16, I find us in the passenger seat of Paul's car. Paul's about to drop us off. He's about to drop off the believers at Corinth. He's been instructing them. If you've been with us in our series, we know that Paul ministered in Corinth for a number of, of months and actually a couple of years that Paul was there starting this church and investing and discipling the believers. And then he leaves and he receives word that uh, over a few years that, that they're not doing too well. The, the believers there in Corinth, they're not, uh, they're not getting along. They're arguing with each other. They're vying for position. They're excusing sin. And so what does he do? He writes to them. And he writes to them to try to help them and encourage them. And the first six chap chapters really are him correcting sin. If you've been with us in our series, that was him just really like, hey, this is here, it shouldn't be. You're doing this, don't do that. You're saying this, hey, that is not what a Christian should do. That's not what a follower of God would do. That's not what God would do in his love for you. And then from chapter seven all the way through the end of the book, Paul is answering questions. Last week we were here and we were, the last three weeks actually, we were in chapter 15 where Paul was answering the questions about the resurrection. And if you'll remember, we kind of came to this summary that there were some who were arguing about the resurrection and the validity of it. And Paul basically told them, hey, but Jesus Christ did raise from the dead. And now that Christ rose from the dead, since the resurrection of Jesus Christ happened, we, as followers of Jesus, we can live in hope, we can live in victory, and we can live with purpose. Right, remember, remember Paul playing the what if game with them? Well, let's, let's play what if Jesus didn't raise from the dead? Well, then what are you doing here? Why are you a follower of Christ? Why, why do you get up in the morning and, and say that you're a Christian? If, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, he said, your faith is vain, our preaching is vain, our belief system is vain, it's all empty, it's all pointless. But Jesus did raise from the dead. And if he rose from the dead, that should impact and change every aspect of your daily life and my daily life. And that's where Paul was at last week. Well, this week, I find Paul giving a number of last-minute instructions. Last-minute instructions, things that he's going to give to us in the church at Corinth before we get dropped off, things before he's done writing. And I want you to see these last minute instructions with me. And so let's stand together and we're gonna to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. We're gonna read the first, 16, first 14 verses. Beginning in verse number one of 1 Corinthians 16, Paul writes this. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store 
as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. Now I will come unto you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia, and it may be that I will abide, yea, and winter with you, that ye may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. For I will not see you now by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you, if the Lord permit. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. Now, If Timotheus or Timothy come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you with the brethren, but his will was not at all to come at this time. But he will come when he shall have a convenient time. Watch ye. Stand fast. Stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Be strong. And let all your things be done with charity. These verses this morning are really the last minute instructions that Paul gives to the believers at Corinth. Next week, we're going to be challenged along the lines of you are not alone in your fight. You're not alone in your Christian faith. You're you're not the only church that's moving forward for God. But before we get to that, I see Paul putting the car in park. It's like me with Dennis putting that car in park. Say, now, hey, before I let you go, before I let you go, let me just give you a few things. There's five key thoughts that I see in this passage before us today five encouragements, five last-minute instructions from Paul to the believers of Corinth and to us today. And so let's pray, and let's get those things and see what God has for us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a minute, and in the quietness of your own heart, would you pray and ask God to speak to your heart today? Would you ask God to help you to see these last-minute instructions, not to the believers at Corinth, but to you? God, would you help me learn today? Dear Lord, we come before you and we thank you so much for your love and your care for us. And God, we thank you for your mercy. Thank you for grace. Thank you for the opportunity to stand and sing today of the praise that you deserve. And Father, of the truth that we can build our life upon you and that it will not fail us. Your foundation won't disappoint us. God, we pray that as we go through the message this morning, the passage before us, that you would help us, that you would speak to us. I pray that you would uh, challenge each of our hearts, help us to hear these instructions from Paul, and that you would apply them into our lives. We love you. We thank you for your love, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. These last few thoughts that I find Paul giving, I find him again giving us just five simple challenges. Five encouragements, five pieces of instruction, if you will, to this church at Corinth. I find the first challenge that Paul gives them and to us is this simple thought, keep giving. 
keep giving. As you go through verses, verse one down through verse number four, we read these a moment ago, we'll read them again. Paul said this, now concerning the collection of the saint, of the, for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. I've already talked about this. I've already written about this, but I'm gonna kind of give you a few thoughts again. Well, what are your thoughts, Paul? Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. And when I come, whomsoever ye shall approve by your letters, them will I send to bring your liberality unto Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. If you know the context of Paul and the, um, the offering that he was collecting as he was traveling, those of you that have been with us over the course of the last few years, we've touched on this a few times, but usually every October, I'm speaking about this offering that was taking place because it was a missions offering. Here's what was happening. The believers at Jerusalem, they were going through a great time. They were going through some great challenges. Many of them were being persecuted for their faith. Many of the Jewish believers that were living in Jerusalem at the time of Paul write, Paul's writing, they actually were not from Jerusalem. And so they were, they were from other places, but they were moving to Jerusalem to learn this new, new uh, Christianity, to learn the way. And you can go and read about a lot of this in the book of Acts. And so because of that kind of influx of, of people that weren't from there, the church at Jerusalem was kind of bogged down in the sense that there was a lot of financial responsibility and a lot of people they were trying to help. And then all of these financial issues and, and all the persecution on top of it. And so here you had this financially hurting church in Jerusalem and Paul would travel around and go to churches and say, Hey, listen, Hey, if God's blessed, if God's blessed you, if you have anything that you think you could give to be a help to the believers of Jerusalem, I'm going to come back through. I'm going to come travel back through. And if you'll collect up until I come back through, then I'll take it down. You, you appoint somebody to go with me or you appoint somebody to take it or however we want to work that out. And we're going to take this back so that we could be a blessing to the believers at Jerusalem. This is described in a number of places in scripture, right here being one, 2 Corinthians chapter eight, um, many of the uh, uh, um, passages in Acts where Paul talks about the collection for the saints. That's what Paul was talking about. So we need to know <clears throat> context matters, right? So Paul was collecting about a missions offering, but from this passage, there's a lot of principles we can learn about our giving. And did you know that God, we, we've said this often, God doesn't need your money or my money. He doesn't need it. Why? It's already his. He, he, the scripture says, you know, talks about him. And the old song says he owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Man, he owns it all. He doesn't need our, our money. But you know what God does? God gives us opportunity to partner with him in giving. I'm not going to talk a lot about this today, but four aspects of giving that I believe every believer should be involved in. Number one is the tithe. What is the tithe? It's 10%. Man, 10% of what I, what I make should go, toward, should go into the church, and that goes toward the general finances of the church. That helps keep the lights on and helps keep the heat going, and that helps uh, pay the staff, and it takes care of your normal running expenses of buying tracks and making sure that you have, uh, can pay all your bills and keep a good testimony in the community and all of that type of stuff. That's that tithe, that 10%. Above that, there is abundance giving. Abundance giving is 
If you have it, you know, you got five bucks one day and you're walking by the offering tray and you're like, oh, I'll drop that in the plate. It's not my tithe. It's just, I had it in my pocket. I gave it. It's abundance giving. The third is sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving says, you know what? There's this special need. Um, right now, we're all building towards um, our forward by faith offering, which is a sacrificial offering towards the building fund. And we're saying, hey, are there 500 people? It'd be one of 500 given $1,000 towards, uh, toward the future of Moses Lake Baptist Church and toward that building fund. What is that? That's a sacrificial giving. And then there's faith giving. What is faith giving? Faith is our missions giving where we say, God, if you'll give me an extra $20 a month or a week or whatever, I'm gonna give that towards missions so that the word of God can go around the world. So four aspects of giving, tithe giving, abundance giving, sacrificial giving, and faith giving. Now, you say, Pastor, didn't you know that pastors aren't supposed to talk about giving? It's in the Bible. And God addresses it. And I'm going to tell you, and then just being very transparent, a pastor shouldn't speak on giving if he's not giving. You say, well, what are you doing, pastor? Are you going to brag about your giving? No, 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 no. I'm going to say every, this, is, this is a principle that applies to every believer. A pastor should be tithing and giving in the abundance and sacrificial giving and, and missions giving and giving should be something that every one of us do. And there's, uh, so knowing that foundation of the tithe, the abundance giving, sacrificial giving, and faith promise giving, there's four, a few principles, I think, out of this passage that we can learn about giving, all right? Not just one aspect of giving, but all giving. I see, first of all, from this passage, that giving is an act of worship. Giving is an act of worship. The first day of the week, did you see that in verse number two? Upon the first day of the week, let each man lay aside as God hath prospered him. You know what the first day of the week was? The first day of the week was their Sunday, just like our Sunday. Do you know why believers gathered the first day of the week after the resurrection? It was to every week, isn't this great? It was every week to celebrate the resurrection. That's why believers gather on the first day of the week. Why? Because Jesus rose. Go back to chapter 15. Now you can see kind of all of this tie in, right? Paul is writing. He's like, hey, Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Because of that, upon the first day of the week, we gather, but also upon the first day of the week, bring that offering. Well, what what are we doing on that first day of the week? It's an act of worship. This is called a worship service. Now, the worship, some people get confused and think, well, the singing is the worship time. No, 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 no. All of it's worship. What is worship? It's ascribing worth to. So if I come prepared to give, you know what I'm doing? I'm recognizing that giving, it's an act of worship. It's me saying, God, you're worth, you're worth this. God, it's not, I'm not gonna do it grudgingly. I'm not gonna do it of necessity. Luke chapter six talks about this. I'm not gonna do it because I feel pressured into it. No, 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 no. God, I'm gonna do this because I wanna worship you. Our giving should be an act of worship. Number two, I see this, that giving should be consistent. Paul said to them, he said, listen, I'm gonna be gone, but every week as I'm gone, every week set aside. Every week bring it in. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, you know that I think in our modern day America, you know what a lot of people are missing out in, just in every area of life? Consistency. Man, consistency. 
Um, I, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but today is uh, January 23rd, right? Yep, January 23rd. Um, I don't know if you did this, but probably about um, 24 days ago, you thought, you know, I'm going to make some New Year's goals. Some of you are like, dude, I don't set New Year's goals. I know they're done by like the 5th. You know why a lot of people don't set New Year's resolutions or New Year's goals? It's because we know we're not going to be consistent. Well, I'm going to get up and I'm going to, you know, I'm going I'm to work out every day. That's what I'm going to do. You liar. No, you're not. You're going to get up, press the snooze button. Unless you create that habit, listen, unless you create that habit and build some consistency, it's not going to take place. Hey, the same is true in every aspect of our Christian life. And let me just pause, and are we still, you still with me this morning? Let me just pause and help us understand that we need consistency in every area of the Christian life. There's a lot of believers that we, we struggle with things for years, We struggle with the same thing, and we're like, God, why am I not growing? If you're not consistent, there's not going to be growth. If there's not consistency, there's not going to be growth. If you're not consistent in the Word of God, you can read the Bible three days this week and two days next week, and then a day the week after that, and then five days the week after that, and then one day the week after that. Listen, you know what you need? You need to get some consistency in your Christian life. You know that? You know what I need? I need consistency. Why? Because with consistency comes growth. Consistency should be in every aspect of our Christian life and also in this area of giving. And so Paul writes to them and he said, hey, upon every day of the, the first day of the week, it's an act of worship, but it's also, it should be something that should be consistent. You should continually be giving. I see also that thirdly, giving is personal. Giving is personal. What does he say there? He says, let every one of you, hey, let every one of you, the individual, lay aside that which God has prospered him in. You know what giving should be? Giving should be personal. It should be something that is not done for everybody else or because of everybody else, but it should be something that I am privileged to do as an individual. You know what else? It should be voluntary. Hey, giving should be voluntary. He said, let every one of you lay by him in store. That phrase, lay by him in store, it's not a command. It's not Paul saying, you better do this or else. It's Paul saying, hey, you have an opportunity to partner with God. I think about in the book of Luke when it says that we should give not, not begrudgingly, not because we are, or of necessity, not because we're guilted into it or because somebody's pressuring us to. No, I should give out of a volunteering love for God. You wanna know why most of us I'm about to step, I'm sorry. Just, I just, I'm apologizing before we even get here. You know what some of us do? We don't give to the Lord of our finances or of our time or of our um, uh, leadership abilities or of our talents. We don't do that because we're selfish. We live in a selfish culture we live, and, we, and we get trapped in it. You know what? You know what God's looking for? God's looking for some believers. Not, man, I just I want to set the giving thing aside for just a second. God's looking for some believers that say, God, I recognize that you own it all, and I'm gonna give of myself. You know what Paul wrote to the believers of Corinth in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8, and verses 1 through 5? Paul said, the believers of the Macedonian regions. 
they have been really used of God because they first gave of their own selves to God. God didn't just say, hey, give me your finances. God says, if you, if you realize that I own it all, then you will have no problem giving to the Lord what's his. Hey, God owns your time. So this week, if God's like, hey, why don't you take just a second and talk to your coworker about me? It's his time. Okay, Lord. Hey, why don't you take just a second today and, and why don't you just encourage your spouse today? Hey, listen, I know things aren't perfect, but instead of just chomping those orders, why don't you just encourage her or him this week? Hey, why don't you, why don't you use some of your words to invest kindness into your kids this week? You, you don't want to be remembered as that parent that just was always berating your children and always just getting on to them and always telling those grandkids, don't you realize you're not going to shape up to anything unless you listen to me? Hey, listen, you, you know what? Those are God's words. Hey, let's use them for him. Our giving should be voluntary. Every area of our life, I want you to see also giving should be proportionate. Did you see in the passage that it says, as God hath prospered him? Aren't you glad God doesn't say everybody has to give $5,000 a month? Some of you'd be like, I ain't got $5,000 a month. I got to take out a loan to get right with God, you know, and give. No, that's not what God says. God says, if God, God says this, if I've blessed you, however I've blessed you, just take a portion of that and give back. 10%, that's that tithe. And then if God lays it on your heart for the abundance giving or God lays it on your heart for sacrificial giving or faith giving, hey, it's all his anyway. So God, I'm just gonna give you this and be a part of this. Uh, we, we've done some stewardship campaigns and stewardship seminars. I'm gonna tell you this today. And my dad, my dad really helped me with this when I was just a little boy. My dad would always take 10 dimes. He'd give me a dollar. He'd say, take 10 dimes. And he would help me understand. All right, Dennis, now what is tithe? I'd say, well, tithe is 10%. He'd say, all right, so if, if you had 10 dimes here, what's 10%? I'd say, well, one dime, 10 cents. He'd say, okay, so one dime belongs to the Lord. All right, son, now there's missionaries that are traveling around the world right now, and they've asked us to help them eat. How much do you want to give to help them eat? And I'd look at my nine dimes left, you know, and I'm like, man. <sighs> you know, of course, then that was like a, that's a pack of gum or something like that. Right now, I'd Right now, I'd buy you a bite of gum, but I'm looking at that 90 cents, and I'm like, well, I'll give a dime to missions. My dad said, okay. He didn't go, wait, only a dime? No, my dad said, hey, you, you give what you want. And I, okay, I'm going to give a dime to that. And then dad would say, all right, now let me ask you this. Do you want to help out anything else in the church or anything else for the building? Or, well, you know, what, what do you, anything else you want to give to? Say, okay, well, yeah, I want to give, give a dime so that we could get a pool table in the kids' room, you know? And Dad would be like, all right, man, we'll give that, you know? And so now I got 70 cents left, and then, and then we, would, we would save, and then I'd have that, you know, 30 or 40 cents or 50 cents left or whatever the case might be. But you know what? My dad taught me that when I was about seven or eight years old, and I'm going to stand before you as uh, a 38-year-old, almost 39. I'm still young. Thank you for one amen, Mike. Mike, thank you. I was looking for it. I'm gonna tell you this. God has never let me down. Amen. God's never let me down. I've, God, God taught me that in the air. And there's many of you in here 
And, and I, Veronica shares a great testimony of when she first trusted Christ. I'm not trying to embarrass you, Veronica. If I wanted to embarrass you, I'd have you stand up, have everybody stare at you and clap, all that type of stuff. Uh, Veronica shares a testimony of when she first trusted Christ and, and had been at church for a while. And then I think, I think my dad preached a message on giving here. And she thought, you know what? I'm going to step out. I'm just going to start giving. And Veronica looks back. And you know what? She, this is her own words. She'll say, man, once I started giving, I began to really see the blessing of God in my life. And God blesses giving. It should be voluntary. It should be proportionate. There's another lesson I learned, and we'll go through this, this last one quickly, is that God's money should be handled honestly. That's a principle we can learn from this verse here. Um, in verse number three and four, <clears throat> Paul said, whoever you select to take the offering they take it, and if you want me to go, I'll go, but you need, to select, you need to appoint somebody to guard over it. You know, Paul was helping them understand, hey, it's God's money, don't mess with it. This is why at our church, this is why we have set up um, um, accountability and we've set up certain people that are over finances and all of that stuff. And I'm so thankful for the many men in our church that help with that and help lead in that. And there's different signers on different accounts. You say, Pastor, why are you telling us all this today? Because I want us to know that we as a church, we should adopt the principles of the scripture, not only corporately, but also personally. And so I want to take this, God's money should be handled honestly, and I want to apply it personally. If it's his money, do you steward it well? Like, have you been blowing your money on stuff? I'll be honest, you know what God convicts me about all the time? Thank you, Craig. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm just being honest. Often, often I feel like the Lord's like, do you really need that cup of coffee? Do you really need that? Do you, do you, Dennis, Dennis, you don't need to buy a coffee five days a week. I drink coffee, I drink coffee at home. I drink coffee at church. And if I'm driving around town and have to make a stop, I drink coffee. You know what? You know what God says to me sometimes? God says to me, hey, Dennis, that might not be the best stewardship. Now, hey, I'm not saying that coffee is bad. It's not bad because you know what I'm going to do? You know what I'm going to do this week? This week I have to travel to San Antonio for a few of the days. You know what my wife and I are looking forward to when I travel? When we travel, I look forward to coffee and cinnamon rolls. I find good coffee and I find good cinnamon rolls. But here's what I'm getting at. If I go out and I know God doesn't want me to buy a coffee every day and yet I'm buying a coffee every day, am I handling God's money honestly and with stewardship? No. If I keep buying the newest gizmos and the newest electronics, but I'm not giving, am I being honest with God's money? No. If I take my money and I invest it in all of the sports and all of the things that can be out there and I'm using it for myself and it's all about building my kingdom and me, am I using God's money with stewardship or with honesty? No. Now you see why I apologized a little bit ago and said I'm gonna, listen, when you talk about money, oftentimes we get really defensive. We do, we get defensive. Why? Because we're like, it's mine. <laughs> you know, we get, we get this idea. Hey, can I tell you, you know, you know what would help in your Christian life? Is if you went, God, I recognize that it's not mine. It's yours. I promise you. I promise you, God will bless that. In every area of life, not just giving. Time, God, my time, it's yours. Use my, use my words today for you. God promises to bless 
when we turn that over. The giving of a believer, one man said it this way, is not in vain. Why? Because the Savior's alive. It's not a coincidence that Paul talks about giving right after he talks about the resurrection. It's like, hey, he rose from the dead. He gave, now you and I can give. I see these points today, God, Paul writing to these believers at Corinth, and he says to keep giving, but also today he says to keep serving, keep serving. We're not going to read the verses. We're going to do this quickly. Verse five down through verse number nine, Paul just lists out what his plans are. Paul lists out, he said, hey, I'm going to go through Macedonia, and I'd like to come unto you for the winter, but in the meantime, I'm going to stay here at Ephesus for Pentecost, verse number nine. Why? Because there's a great and effectual door that's open unto me. Here's what Paul is saying, is Paul's definitely kind of... He's simply just listing out his travel plans, and I'm not going to go through all of it, but he's just like, hey, I want to get to you, but I'm going to be in Ephesus right now, and then I'm going to be in Macedonia for a while. After I pass through that area, then I'm going to come to you. I hope to be there by wintertime. I'll stay all winter. We'll sort some things out. But then verse number nine is key in this, because here's what he says, because the reason, the reason my plans are taking me this way is because there is a great door and effectual that is opened unto me, but there are many adversaries. You know what Paul was saying? He was saying, hey, there is an opportunity for me to minister, to serve. It is a big door, and it is going to be effective. That phrase, an effectual door, it means it's going to be effective. If I stay here, and I get going, and I keep serving God is going to work because God is doing something here in Ephesus right now. If you go to the book of Acts and you read about Paul's time in the book of Ephesus, you would know God was doing something in Ephesus. He was doing something actually in Ephesus that would impact the entire region because of the ministry of Paul. Now, when we look at this, we would say, well, what does any of that have to do with the reader? I think what it has to do with the reader is the application of Paul's life. Think about it this way. Those of you that are students of the Bible, was Paul like lazy? No. Paul was consistently and constantly moving forward for the Lord. Paul kept moving forward for the Lord and serving no matter what was going on. I mean, think about it. Every time Paul was, Paul was around, I think about Acts chapter number 17. This is crazy. Acts 17, Paul goes into Athens. And the Bible says that he sits down in Athens and he's like gonna rest. He's tired. He's weary. He had just been beaten. Like he had gone through a lot. And he comes to Athens and he's just like, oh. and then he began to look around. And the Bible records this, that as Paul looked around, His heart was stirred within him because of the idolatry of the people. And here's Paul on break time. And he took a couple days off for rest. And then he just got right back to serving. You know what some of us do? Some of us rest for a week, week and a half, and then we serve for 10 minutes. And then we rest for two weeks, and then we serve for 12 minutes. We, we come to church and we're like, man, pastor preached an hour today. That, that's like, man, that chalked me up for f- five days. Man, we're good to go, you know? Now, let me, let, me, let me tell you something. Does the Bible teach about rest? Yes. 
Don't miss it. The Bible teaches much about rest. The Bible teaches a lot. I mean, gee, God, after he created the world, what did he do on that seventh day? He rested, and he, he gave us an example. And uh, for the Jews, every seventh year was a, a year of rest. And every, uh, I mean, every few months, they had a restful time. You know what? Rest is needed. And you should have a day of rest every week. You should have um, a few weeks a year that you rest and that you take time and that you invest and recuperate with you. But listen, when you're not resting, when you're not resting, ask God to show you where to serve. It doesn't mean that you have to always be going, 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 going. It just means that I should always be looking for opportunities to serve. One man said, someone once said this, killing time is the chief occupation of modern society, but no Christian can afford to kill time or waste opportunities. You know what? Every, what we do often as believers is we waste time. And while we stop to think, we often miss our opportunity. You know what Paul gives us an example of? He says, there's a great and effective door open unto me. Hey, I've got to keep serving because God is doing something. You know, the, 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 the challenge to keep serving, you know what I want to encourage you with? Take times of rest. Have it planned. Be mindful in your times of rest, your day of the week, your, your few weeks of the year, whatever that may be. But rest so that you can come back and serve. Hey, have a few hours tomorrow of rest. Uh, Monday's my day off and I'll rest tomorrow. You know what, I wanna rest on Monday so that I can serve on Tuesday. And then Tuesday night, I'm gonna rest so that I can serve on Wednesday. And man, having that time, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you always have to be go, 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 go. No, 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 no. Rest in order to serve, in order to use your life for the glory of God. The individual believer in the church family must constantly ask God, what opportunities are, are or must ask, what opportunities are God giving us today? How can I serve him today? Paul said this, be followers of me as I am of Christ. He wrote this, walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, buying back the time. Hey, keep serving. Keep giving, keep serving. Number three, keep investing. Keep investing. Notice verse 10 and 11, Paul said this, now if Timothy come, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I also do. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. Timothy, along with Titus, he was one of the preacher boys that Paul had really invested in. He was a young man, and Paul wrote to Timothy, let no man despise thy youth. So we know that Timothy was young. We know that Timothy was one of those young men that would travel alongside Paul, and as he would travel, Paul would leave him at certain places to invest in people. One of the places that Paul would actually leave Timothy would be as the pastor of the church at Ephesus. Paul would, or Timothy would be the pastor of the church at Ephesus, and if you go and you do some research, you would find that Timothy needed encouragement. Timothy was a young man. Why did the, the books of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, those letters get written? They were written from Paul to Timothy to encourage him or to help challenge him just to keep moving forward for the Lord. Do you know what I find Paul doing in these two verses? Paul writing to the believers at Corinth, hey, listen, Timothy's gonna be there. When he comes, encourage him. Hey, when Timothy comes, invest in him. 
One man said it, and I just quoted it, but Timothy needed all the encouragement and the investment that he could get. Why? Because it was a, it was a challenging time to serve God. I, I don't like people. I like people. Let me rephrase this. I don't like when people compare our modern-day challenges to the challenges that believers were going through in the Bible. I don't like that. I don't like when people in America, especially in America now, if you're somewhere like in India, we need to pray for our church planters, the the Moses family. They're here in the U.S., but their family's ministering in India because India is passing a law, a non-conversion law, that you cannot convert anybody out of Hinduism. And if you do, you you will go to jail and you could possibly die. And Amos Moses wrote about a three and a half, four page letter this last week asking churches to pray. Would you pray for me? Why? Because of this, this law. And he's not even over there. But just all the craziness that's going on. And yet in America, you know, we have a coworker that at work turns us in because at lunch we were reading our Bible. And we're like, oh, I'm so persecuted for the faith. I got written up this week. Oh, I got a, man, I was out door knocking and someone slammed a door in my face. I gave somebody a gospel track and they tore it up right in my face. Oh, man, I'm just suffering for Jesus. <laughs> hey, I've been there where I'm like, wow, this is, this is persecution. No, it's not. Like we're living in a free country still and you can say, well, it, all the politics and stuff. No, no, listen, we still have a lot of the freedoms that God has allowed us to have, and we don't even take advantage of the freedoms that we do have. And yet we compare ourselves with them, and we're like, yeah, man, I understand persecution. Yeah, blessed are the persecuted. Psh, that's me this week, man, at work. Yeah, that guy called me into my boss's office. I was persecuted this week. Hey, we, we don't even know what they were going through. Like they were getting arrested and beaten and stoned. You know what Timothy as a young pastor needed? He needed encouragement. You know the challenge that Paul is giving them? Hey, keep investing in those who are investing in the work of God. That's that's what I believe we should do is we as believers should put a priority upon investing into those who are investing into the work of the Lord. I think this can apply in two very simple ways. Number one, anytime people are serving the Lord around you, encourage them. Our greeters, man, aren't you thankful for those people that like hand the bulletins out and stuff like that? Who was doing it today? I think Carolyn and, and Sabrina, were you doing it? They're back there handing those bulletins and you walk in, get a bulletin, you know? And man, you know what I wanna do? I wanna walk up, put my arm around them. Hey, thank you so much for serving. Hey, hey, music team, thanks for serving today. Noah, thanks for filling in for Brian and, and help lead us in, in the, the praise and worship of the Lord. Man, thank you for doing that. Why? People are investing into the work of God and so I should invest into them. But on the second thought, here's what I also think. There's a great practical tip right here about investing in young people who want to invest in the work of God. I'm thinking right now about Carlos. I'm embarrassing you again, Veronica. Uh, I remember when Carlos was first at our church and the very first time I talked to Carlos was right here. And I shook his hand and said, man, what's your name? He said, I'm Carlos. He said, I'm I'm Veronica's son. I said, oh man, that's awesome. Hey, we're going to camp tomorrow. You wanna go? He's like, no. I was like, all right, it's worth a try, you know. Man, just talk. And then, man, a few months later, Carlos trusted Christ 
And then a few months later, Rob got him in discipleship. And then a year and a half later, we were in the back giving him hugs because the next day he was flying out to go to Bible college. And he goes to Bible college and finishes four years. And on his fourth year, COVID happened. He didn't even get to do a really good graduation during that time. They just kind of like sent everybody home. And we were going to hire Carlos in May. And yet here he shows up the last Sunday of February. He's like, Pastor, what do I do? And I was like, well, I was going to hire you in two months. Why don't you just come on staff right now? He's like, well, I haven't even graduated yet. I was like, so? Micah Bosworth never graduated. <laughs> now you know. <clears throat> Excuse me. And I look at Carlos, but you know what? Now he's our children's pastor, been on staff for two and a half years. And those of you that have kids in the children's ministry, Carlos is doing a great job with those kids and he loves them and he loves the Lord. I look at young men like Carlos. I look at young men like even Robert. When Rob first came on staff, he's not young anymore, but uh, Robert. I look, at, I look at Brian and Samantha. I look at others within our church. I look at, at Noah wanting Noah saying, hey, I want to I serve God with my life. I don't know what capacity, but I just want to do that. I'm looking at young men, even like my own sons that have said, hey, Dad, I don't know if I will be in ministry, but I just want to live for God. Hey, listen, if you... If you are 30 and there's a 28-year-old that's underneath you that's serving the Lord, invest in them. If you're 28 and there's a 35-year-old investing in the Lord, invest in them. Just see people that are serving the Lord and invest in them. And then we as a church, we should be praying for these young men and young ladies within our church that are saying, you know what? I wanna, I wanna serve God. Man, keep investing in them. Fourthly, I see Paul saying, keep standing. Notice these verses, verse number 12 and 13. As touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come unto you while with the brethren, but his will was not to come at all at this time, but he will come when he shall have a convenient time. In the meantime, watch ye. Stand fast in the faith, quit ye like men, be strong. Look through these real quick. Watch ye, it means to be awake, to be vigilant. Stead, stand fast, it means to be stationary and yet persevere. Quit you like men, it means act manly and be strong. It says to grow in strength or to be empowered or emboldened. When you look at these four phrases, the phrase, watch ye, here's what Paul is simply saying. Hey, the enemy is always at hand. The enemy is always going to attack. And you know what you need to do? You need to watch you need to understand that the enemy's coming out for you, church at Corinth. Hey, believer at Corinth. Hey, husband. Hey, wife. Hey, grandparent. Hey, grandchild, teenager. The enemy is coming for you. Watch ye. Hey, don't go to sleep. Don't quit. Watch ye. Man, be awake. He says, stand fast. That phrase, stand fast, to persevere and yet be stationary. Paul had already warned them that they were immature children who needed to grow up in their Christian faith. And here he challenges them again. And he basically says to them, hey, stand firm in what you believe and quit getting knocked over. Quit going this way and that way. Quit being someone who is tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. <clears throat> I'm about to, we're just gonna take a break again. I love the fact that we have social media and I love the fact that we have YouTube and Facebook and all of these different things, but some of you need to quit clicking on every, every piece of clickbait out there that has some new, some new thing to believe in. 
If it's new, it's probably not of the book. Like if it's, if it's something new that is going around like, wow, I've, like, nobody is teaching this. It's probably not in the Bible then. You know why? Because this book has been around for a very, very long time. And even though Pastor Dennis may get up and I may say something that you're like, wow, I've never heard that before. It's probably not new to me. I probably stole it from somebody else. There's probably some message I heard it in or some commentary I read or some, something that God spoke to me about through somebody else's preaching. It's just, it's not new. And you know what Paul is writing to them? Hey, stand fast. Be firm in what you believe. Don't go on and click on this article and that article and go down this road and then come up and be like, Pastor, did you know that the COVID vaccine, it's the mark of the beast? <laughs> Pastor, I mean, listen, it's, we're all going to hell. Pastor, Jesus already came and he forgot us. I'll tell you some of the most preposterous things that I heard in 2020 would blow your mind. And like, I, I people like, uh, listen, pastor, you're saying there's no truth to conspiracy theories? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying when we begin to take conspiracy theories and teachings and put them in place of the word of God, man, we're not standing fast. You know what standing fast says? Standing fast says this. Whether a Democrat is in office or a Republican is office in office, I'm going to live for Jesus. Whether the government tries to control everything or the government gives me back freedoms, I'm going to live for Jesus. Whether somebody stands up and yells this at this big parade or somebody doesn't, I'm going to stand for Jesus. Now you say, well, pastor, does that mean we shouldn't be involved politically? Come on. You know me. I'm very involved politically. I write our, I write our, our, our elected officials and we, we, I encourage people to vote. And uh, in, uh, in uh, June or July of this year, we have our All-American Sunday and we'll have a voter registration and encourage people to do their part. And, and uh, man, I, I help uh, pray with our Congress and senators and, and try to help people get elected that follow the Lord. But you know what? At the end of the day, you know what I always tell them? Hey, follow God. Hey, you let God lead you. What is that? Man, we need to stand fast. Stand fast. The next thing he says, quit you like men. This phrase, act manly, the ladies in here, they're like, what? What's this mean? You know what Paul is saying with this? It was a call to courage. This was a call to courage. Paul was basically telling them, hey, we need courageous leaders that will be firm in their faith. And in this day and age, now manliness in our day and age is preached against by culture, not at churches, but by culture. Some churches it is. But you know what Paul is saying to them? He's not saying, hey, be manly, grow muscles and get a beard and be like Tom Loss back here, you know, strong and fit and get that beard. No, here's what he's saying. Hey, stand firm and be able to take a punch or two. The enemy's coming at you. Quit you like men. Quit, quit cowering away. Stand for the Lord. Fight for God. And then he says that phrase, be strong. It means to grow in strength or to be empowered or emboldened. This has to do with our theme, being strengthened by grace. All of this, you know what Paul is saying? Stand in Christian maturity. 
So keep standing, keep investing, keep giving, keep serving. And let me give you this last one today. And I want, you, I want to tell you, this is the most important. So most important is verse number 14. It's keep loving. Look with me, look at verse number 14, 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Here's what Paul says. Let all your things be done with what? Charity. <clears throat> Those of you that have been here for our series, you'll know that we've hit on love quite a bit. And Paul wrote to them a lot about love about charity, right? Chapter 13, let all things, let everything be done with charity. He says, because you can have the best spiritual gifts in the world, but if you don't have charity, if you don't have love, then it's pointless. Here's Paul coming back to this thought again and basically helping us understand this. In everything, be balanced and led by love. Keep loving. All of those things that we've talked about, everything that I've encouraged you in, do it out of love. We've said this at our church many times. It just boils down to two thoughts. The Christian life. Christian life, Jesus boiled it down to this. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. Hey, if I love God, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm just gonna keep, I'm gonna keep giving. If I love God, I'm gonna keep serving. If I love God, I'm gonna keep investing. If I love God, I'm just gonna keep going and standing firm for the Lord. If I love people, I'm gonna keep giving. If I love people, I'm gonna keep serving. If I love people, I'm gonna keep investing in them. If I love people, I'm gonna, I'm gonna keep standing firm in the faith because I know there's someone coming up behind me that needs the faith that I am standing in. And let me just tell you this morning, as a church family and as a believer who lives in Moses Lake, when you love, when you love, you will easily give. When you love, you will willingly serve. When you love, you are quick to invest. When you love, you will desire to stand firm. And so what is the challenge that Paul gives us before we get out of the car and go into our first day of work. And Paul gives us these advice pieces. What does he say? Hey, hey, keep doing these things. Keep giving, keep serving, keep investing, keep standing. But most of all, keep loving. If there's anything that we walk away with today, I hope it would be this decision. Lord, this week, this week, help me to love you and love people. Lord, help that to be the motive. The motive for giving should not be, well, pastor preached on it. The motive for serving should not be, well, if I don't, if I'm not in my place, then someone who does the scheduling is gonna call and ask me where I was. The motive for investing is not, well, no one else is doing it, I guess I will. The motive for standing firm isn't, well, I better be in my place because if I'm not, then... No, the motive is I'm gonna give today. Why? It's an act of worship. God, I love you. And I wanna show you I love you by giving in the offering. I wanna show you I love you by giving of my voice to worship you. I wanna show you that I love you today by understanding that it's not about these people. And while I'm gonna be mindful of people around me, and while I'm not gonna try to steal a show, God, today, I just wanna show you I love you. And so I'm gonna give to you everything that you ask. God, today, I wanna, I wanna love you. And so God, I'm gonna serve God, show me opportunities to serve. God, show me how to serve this week. Serving God is not just on Sunday. God, I love you. Would you show me how to invest in people around me that are investing in your work? 
God, help me to do that. Why? Because I love you. And God, would you help me to stand firm today? Not because of my pride and what I have. God, would you help me to stand firm today and say, God, I'm standing because I love you. I'm telling you right now, the only motive, the only motive that really lasts in the Christian life is 1 Corinthians 16, 14. Let all things be done with, through, by, because of charity. Hey, I hope tomorrow that you'll get up and give, serve, invest, and stand because you love the, because you love the Lord. God, help me, help me to let the motive be love. This morning, I hope that every one of us, that we'd make the decision, Lord, I'm gonna do those four things, but it's all gonna flow out of love. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, we'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.